0: Well, like Mandy said, my name is Jordan Arsenault, and my wife and I are some of the founding members of the South Suburban Vineyard Church, and uh, I also serve on the Pastoral Advisory Committee. I'm so excited to be speaking to you this morning, and I also want to recognize those who are watching live on Facebook and those listening to our pod- podcast on iTunes and also through our website. Uh, you're more than welcome to visit with us here on, in Flossmore if you're in the neighborhood. I also want to acknowledge my mom, who's sitting here today. She turned 70 years old last week. Um, so make sure, make sure if you see her, to wish her a happy birthday. Um, be- before I get started um, this morning, I just wanted to uh, give you an update on what's been happening in our lives. Um, you know, obviously, the last two and a half years have been. Um, not good for a lot of people because of the pandemic but it was particularly tough for our family Um, in november of 2020 our daughter joy was diagnosed with uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia a fast-growing blood cancer as a family we're so grateful for the generosity and support of our vineyard community uh, during this difficult time we're happy to report that after months of chemotherapy and monitoring by her doctors joy is finally finished and she rang the bell earlier this month signaling the end of treatment. Uh, Joy remains in complete remission with no signs of cancer in her body. And next month she's uh, having surgery to have her port removed. God has been so faithful to us during this entire journey, and we just can't thank this church enough for every prayer and uh, message of support and dollar that we've received. Um, Since 2015, I've had the pleasure to preach on occasion at SSV, but I took a significant break uh, during my daughter's treatment. Um, In fact, the week she was diagnosed, I was supposed to preach that weekend, and uh, Gino um, thankfully stepped in and w- preached for me. Um, and so I was humbled after all this time to be asked to, be, to deliver a message again for this One Thing series, the, the one thing, the one thing, the thread of truth that runs through my life with God. But I have to say that this series was kind of a challenge for me to find a topic on. <laughs> Because uh, when I think of uh, the line of truth that, the thread of truth that runs through my life with God, I kind of think of one of those Cosby-style, Cosby Show-style Cosby Show sweaters um, from, from the 90s sitcom. Um, uh, kind of this uh, very cool, I think it was Coogee, the brand sweater um, uh, that he used to wear. And I just think of these many interwoven threads that have made up my life with God. Um, From the time I became a Christian at the age of five to uh, today, where you see me with thinning hair and a pasty face at 41 years old. um, You know, I could talk about the ways that Christian community has been a touchstone in my life. But Gino already talked about that. I could talk for a long time about believing in God's promises when trials in our lives are given. But uh, David Jacob already delivered that sermon. Every time I really examine the themes and the patterns in my life where God has showed up, I was beaten to the punch by one of the amazing speakers that we've had in this series. But the thread that I landed on when I really started pulling on the strings of that that Cosby Show sweater of my life is so obvious that I can't believe I didn't think of it first. And that's this. Jesus rules. Jesus rules. Now, rules can mean a lot of things. If you were raised in the '90s like me, um, it can mean that something is really, really awesome, like pizza and Mountain Dew rules, or Golden Eye on Nintendo 64 rules. You know, and Jesus does rule in those senses. Or you might be thinking of the book by Sam Smith that came out in the '90s called The Jordan Rules and it was about Michael Jordan's domineering leadership style and the Pistons trying to shut him down in the playoffs. Um, But that's not what this sermon is about either. No, today I want to focus on the realization that Jesus is king. Why he has the right to rule over our lives, and how it's radically changed my perspective and how I conduct myself. Uh, If you're on Facebook right now and you're watching us live, you can actually click over to my Facebook page, And you can kind of see my personal details. And under religious beliefs, you won't see Christianity or uh, Protestantism or the vineyard, even though I definitely identify with all of those. Um, You'll actually just see Jesus. Um, I kind of see, I'm a foodie, I kind of see Jesus as the main course. And I'm trying to be a a side dish that complements him really well. Um, uh, Jesus has been the North Star for me, as he should be for all people who claim faith in, in him as Lord. And so today I want to talk about how Jesus has been the center of my life, how he's ruled, and how I've attempted imperfectly <laughs> to navigate every situation in my life using his teachings and the Bible as a whole, as a compass. And I'm going to be setting this up, all, all this up by reading a few passages from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. So you can feel free to follow along on your Bible app, on your tablet device, on the screens in front of you, and or using the Bibles at the edges of each row. Uh, but before we do that, let me just bless this time. So let me pray. Come Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, you rule and reign over everything. Uh, Would you just make the sanctuary your throne room for the next hour? Um, Father, we just want to learn more about you and who you are as king. And we want to learn how to be better kingdom citizens. So we just ask, Lord, that you come and fill this room with your spirit. You already have. And bless this time. Open our hearts to receive what you have to say. And, and move all my rustiness from not having <laughs> preached in a long time out of the way. So that it, it can really impress upon people's hearts. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I start, I kind of want to set the scene. Uh, we're reading from the book of Ephesians. Which is the 10th book of the New Testament. And it's a letter from Paul the Apostle, written from prison, to the church in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And the theme of this book is all about unity in Christ. And Paul goes to great lengths to explain that the church is one body with one spirit, serving one Lord, with one faith and one baptism, serving one God. Perfect for the one thing series. Ephesians starts off with the similar greetings that Paul gives in most of his epistles, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 9. So, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring together under the authority of Christ everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, Because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work according to His plan. So now we're going to skip down to verse 18. And Paul tells the church that he's been praying for them, and these are the things that he's been saying to the Lord. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called, His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. In other words, Jesus rules. He rules. He totally rules, like literally rules. Paul says everything under the authority of Christ, according to what God had in mind from the beginning of time, that Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power, above or below the earth, and he's head of all things. And this is a good reminder for me because I've tended to think of Jesus as just a teacher sometimes. And he was a teacher, maybe the best teacher of all time. His teachings and our obedience to them are the ways that we show that we truly love him, according to Jesus. But Jesus isn't just a teacher, and he's not a principal or the superintendent, but Jesus is king. And of course, God has placed local, uh, city, county, state, and federal authorities over us in places where Christians live all over the world, and we're supposed to submit to them, practically speaking. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, Jesus is king. In Isaiah thirty-three, twenty-two, it says this, For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for us and save us. In fact, there's so much regal language when Jesus proclaims who he is that we lose the thread in hearing it because it sounds so common in relation to our faith. You know, common words like savior, and kingdom, and even gospel have deeply political meanings in the ancient Near East and in the Greco-Roman civilization. If you go to Berlin today, you can find this inscription uh, announcing the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of good tidings for the world that came by reason of, his, of him. From his birth, a new reckoning of time must begin. Uh, this is talking about a political leader. It's talking about Caesar Augustus, who ruled at the time that Jesus was alive. And the word for good tidings is the same word in Koine Greek that is gospel. The word was used to announce when a king had won victory in battle and defeated his enemies. Good news, right? Mark 1.1 says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So when Jesus is announcing the gospel of the kingdom of heaven or the gospel of the kingdom of God he's proclaiming his kingship and this was obviously a threat to the Roman Empire that they didn't know how to handle when Herod hears about the wise men from the wise men that there's this king of the Jews born the book of Matthew says he was deeply disturbed and he ended up sending soldiers to kill all the boys who were two years and older Two years and younger in and around Bethlehem. And there's a passage in Isaiah that we read around Christmas time that most of us know that's about the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Jesus is king. The Roman governor, Pilate, asked Jesus during his trial if he's the king of the Jews. And Jesus says, you have said it. In the book of John, it says, John, Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked. Jesus replied, Is this your question, or your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So, you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came to the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So Jesus admits to Pilate during this trial that he's a king, but it sounds like he's a different kind of king. It's not an earthly kingdom like we're used to, but a spiritual one that supersedes everything else. Jesus' kingdom is a new society or city governed by Jesus, and Ted Kim talked a little bit about this last week. Jesus, the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. So when Paul describes the church, when we went back to the book of Ephesians, when Paul describes the church as Jesus' body, the church is supposed to represent itself as an outpost of this kingdom an embassy representing Christ's nation in the world to the world. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead come back to God for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus teaches us how to live as a community together, so as Christians, all of our lives need to be formed around Jesus Christ. When Jesus is preaching, preaching, he isn't talking to just one person on how to interact with other individuals. He's speaking to crowds of people on how to interact with each other as a unit and how to represent his kingdom to the world around. He didn't come so that you could just only have a personal, individualistic relationship with him. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom, and his kingdom is made up of many people. Individuals coming together under the banner of Christ, serving his interests as king. So this kingdom relies on our allegiance, or loyalty, to Christ, his examples, and his teachings. Another word for loyalty is a religious word that we call faith. And the gathering of believers is supposed to be a reminder of that. And we all know that there's this sense in our culture and the state and your job or your community that it's trying to form your allegiance to it. We sing songs about our country and we pledge allegiance to the flag and we go through compliance trainings at our places of work. Um, and uh, we watch TV, and we watch our favorite sports teams, and we wear their jerseys, and these are all exist, basically, to increase our faith in these institutions. So the church, or small group, and whenever we gather together, it helps us to remember our true allegiance to Jesus. In a kingdom not of this world, with a heavenly constitution of how we're supposed to treat one another, Jesus wants to be king of your whole life. Jesus is a different kind of king, and his kingdom is a different kind of empire. Because Jesus is the king who lays down his life for his people. Jesus teaches his disciples that rulers flaunt their authority, but that we should model servant leadership. Paul says Jesus took the humble position by laying down his rights and becoming human. Jesus humbles himself in obedience to God for the sake of mankind. So when we obey Jesus in a way that's self-sacrificing and others-minded, we're communicating the presence of one kingdom to another kingdom. We're imitating Jesus' politic. That's right. Jesus has a politic. We don't like to think of Jesus being political because we all have our own leanings, and we like to think that Jesus is outside of that. But what we really mean is that we don't want Jesus to be partisan. And that makes sense. But what is a politic? A politic is really just the organization and activities of a people brought together under the governance of someone else. So if Jesus is proclaiming he's king, that's deeply political. And this is a deep question. Who has the right to rule and order your life? If the answer isn't Jesus, then I don't know if you can say you're a Christian at this point. If Jesus is king, it has profound implications. If Jesus is king, he has to be the ruler of every corner of your life. Because Jesus rules. So you might be asking yourself, well, I kind of get that, Jordan, but what does that have to do with you? And I'm glad you asked, because I want to tell you three short stories about myself and where Jesus is ruling comes into sharp focus and the first story that i want to tell is about my childhood and i call this story jesus rules even though people let you down jesus rules even though people let you down so i grew up about a half hour south from here i'm going to get some water i grew up about a half hour south from here in kankakee county I live with my mom and my dad, uh, my older brother Josh, and my twin brother Jesse, and we, w- we had a normal lower middle class life for the most part. My mom ran a daycare in her home, and my dad worked as a janitor and a locksmith. My parents came to faith in the 70s, I'm having my mom fact check me as we go, um, and continued on until I was born in 1981, and we attended church regularly. Uh, Right around 1990, my grandfather died, and my dad began to doubt things and started exploring other beliefs. And one day, we came home from church and discovered he was gone. He came back for a little while, and we ended up buying another house, but it sounds like he was always planning on leaving again. And eventually, he was gone permanently. Obviously, this was devastating to us as a family, we felt abandoned. Um, my twin brother Jesse and I thought it was our fault. We had some uh, toys that my dad had bought and stored in the garage, and Jesse and I found them, and we started playing with them, and we were convinced at nine years old that this is the reason he left. It made me, my life really hard, and it was really hard for my mom, who had to continue raising us as a single parent. You know, one thing that I recall, though, is when I look back, at that time is that my mom really leaned into her fi- to faith in Jesus. Uh, despite my dad not being around, Jesus was still on the throne ruling her life. I remember my mom praying loudly in her room and being committed to studying her Bible. On her dresser was her divorce papers, and on top of her divorce papers were her wedding shoes. She had committed to loving Christ and her commitment to him despite my dad not holding up to his end of the bargain her faith inspired us to keep going and believe in God's promises promises from the lord that he's with us always that he won't abandon us that we have a home in heaven and that nothing can separate from his lo- us from his love and that even a small amount of faith can move mountains These are the things that encouraged us to be steadfast and persevere through times of trials and struggles, which Jesus also promised that we would go through on this side of heaven. I remember we got her this necklace uh, that had a mustard seed inside of it, and it was a symbol of her allegiance to Jesus. Jesus rules even when the rug is pulled out from underneath you. Our mother's commitment to Jesus helped protect us from becoming a statistic of single-parent households. It told us what was most important, and as we went to school, we played basketball, and eventually, we married our wives. And I met this girl in 1999, summer of 99, named Nikki Erickson, and I knew that she had to be a believer, or it wasn't an option for us to date, and because Jesus rules. And even though I felt abandoned by my dad when I was young, we do speak on the phone regularly each year. Jesus has helped me overcome the disappointment of the past so that we can have a good relationship moving forward. Um, The second story that I want to tell is actually about this church. And I call this story, Jesus Rules When He Changes Your Plans. Jesus rules... We need changes your plans. So fast forward after college, I married this girl, Nikki, and we moved to Champaign, Illinois, to begin our careers in television. We both got jobs at the same TV station. I got a job as a news photographer. Nikki got a job as a news producer. And the plan was that we were going to stay in Champaign for five years. The kind of in broadcasting, you kind of travel around very quickly. So. We both got jobs at the same TV station. We were going to work in Champaign in Market 82 for five years. Then we were going to go to a bigger city like Indianapolis, St. Louis, uh, Milwaukee, someplace close to the Midwest. But eventually, you know, you work there for five years and then you go to Chicago because that's where you want to end up. You want to end up in a top, top market. And so that was always the plan. We started looking for a church in the area that kind of threaded the needle for Nikki's Baptist background and my non-denominational background. And we found the Vineyard Church of Central Illinois in Urbana. And almost immediately, we felt like we were home. There's this thing in the Vineyard where you don't join the Vineyard, you discover that you are Vineyard, and like everything like connected with us theology-wise. And especially this new thing that we'd never learned about. My understanding of God had had completely changed when I learned about this Kingdom of God theology. And if you've hung around this church for any amount of time, you've probably heard us talk about the Kingdom of God. And It was a subject that Jesus talks a lot about in the Gospels. Kingdom of God theology is part and parcel with the Vineyard Movement because it underscores all our assumptions about life in the world. And it goes kind of like this. In the beginning, God created the world and he was king over all of it. But there was a rebellion in God's kingdom and Satan became the God of this world when he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And so now now he infects the world with evil and illness, demonic activity and death, things that God never had in mind when he created us. So this is how we understand this present evil age that we're in today. But God was up to something. Starting in Genesis 3 and echoed through his many prophets, God said he would put an end to Satan's rule by sending his Messiah to defeat wickedness in all its forms, save his people, and bring salvation to all the earth. God will establish his kingdom by destroying the kingdom of darkness. God fulfilled this future promise when Jesus came and he began forgiving wrongs and healing illnesses and casting out demons and resurrecting the dead. Jesus inaugurates God's kingdom in his life and even more so in his death, resurrection, and ascension, and Satan and his rule are defeated. Amen? Amen. So the kingdom of God is, is, in Scripture is a dynamic concept. More than a realm or a place of God's rule, it is God's work in action. And Jesus, Jesus often used parables to describe the kingdom of God because it truly is a mystery. It's where the future age of God's rule meets the present having been fulfilled in Christ's first coming, but not being consummated until his second coming. And in the vineyard, we often talk about this tension between the already and the not yet. And there's actually a a diagram. Uh, Within that box there, that's kind of where we are. When we become followers of Jesus, we have already entered into God's kingdom, and we join the church that lives within the tension between the future age of the kingdom and this present evil age. So until Christ comes again, followers of Jesus live the eternal life of the future right here in the present, bringing heaven to earth. We are instruments of God's rule and reign, contending for his values against evil in all its forms. We're Christ's representatives, enforcing and advancing for the sake of this world the victory that Jesus has already accomplished. Amen? So Nikki and I were deeply enmeshed in this new understanding of the kingdom. And we begin to meet these new friends. And this church is really into church planting. They really like to plant new churches. And we end up meeting this couple named Gino and Shannon Allison. Gino also works in television, so there's that connection. Uh, We start attending small groups with them. Gino's leading a, Gino wants to lead a small group. He recruits Nikki and I to join the small group. He makes this amazing chili. And I was like, I really like, I really like our small group, but if, if we don't go to Gino's small group, we can't have that chili again. <laughs> that chili is the reason we planted this church. They ask us if we want to plant a church with them. And this greatly disrupts our five-year plan. You know, we're two and a half years or two years into our five-year plan to stay in Champaign, then go to one of these medium-sized cities, and then go to Chicago. And uh, this totally upends the orders that we had in mind. But it's amazing how flexible your plans are when you have this new kingdom understanding. Suddenly, your plans aren't so concrete, and you believe that there's a greater purpose in life. Maybe it's not just to make money and work in television or be famous or something. Maybe maybe there's something more to life than that. So we get these new marching orders from Jesus and we decide to help this couple plant this church in the south suburbs. And here we are today, 13 years later. Things worked out exactly the way God had intended and all we had to do was say yes when the opportunity came. Because if Jesus truly rules in your life, he can change your plans if you're obedient to his calling. Uh, The last story that I want to tell is about my daughter, Joy, getting leukemia. And I call this story, Jesus rules when his kingdom comes to help. Jesus rules when his kingdom comes to help. So we plant this new church, and our family begins to grow here in the south suburbs. And along with our sons, Cam and Ian, God blesses us with a little girl named Joy. We had had a miscarriage, and Joy was kind of our rainbow baby. And uh, right after her third birthday, she's suddenly diagnosed with leukemia. And we're told it's a marathon, not a sprint. We have months and months of treatment ahead of her, over 800 days of chemotherapy. And we have to take time off from work, occasionally, for her appointments, and to deal with the side effects of chemotherapy. Now, being kingdom people, we immediately start asking God for intervention. Like, we're praying that the kingdom would come and God's will would be done in her body, complete healing from head to toe, because Jesus is king. And he's also a healer. Jesus' rule and reign means that we can invite the Holy Spirit into these situations. And God can work a miracle. The other kingdom miracle that we weren't anticipating, though, is that we experienced God's army of compassion that came to the rescue when we needed it the most. Jesus' ruling means that his people are in action in obedience to him. So what does that practically look like? Uh, It means friends showing up. Showing up at your porch so that they can cry with you. It means food showing up at your door so you don't have to worry about what to eat that night. It means friends cleaning your whole house while you're away. So it's just one less thing that you have to worry about. It also means that church members are coming together to fast and pray for cancer to go away forever. If there's any time in your life when you need community, it is times like these. When things are overwhelming, and you're sad, and you're confused, and you've temporarily lost hope, or temporarily lost sight of God's promises. I can honestly say that if it wasn't for our SSV community, I'm not sure where we would be today. Many of the people in this room or watching online showed up for us, and continue to show up for us, reminding us that we weren't in this fight alone. And also reminding us that the church really is a hospital for the hurting and broken. We need each other. And we can see how Jesus rules when his kingdom comes to help. Amen? So, I'm going to snip the thread. I'm going to snip the thread that that rules, that Jesus rules, that He reigns in my life, and that that is the truth that runs through the entire Cosby sweater of my life. (laughs) Life has been really hard, but it hasn't been as complicated as it could be. When Jesus rules, it makes the ways you process disappointment and your decision-making, And where you turn to guidance and support, so much easier. And there are three questions that I want to leave you with as the worship team comes up. And the first question is this Does Jesus rule your life? Honestly ask that question Does Jesus rule your life? Do you believe Jesus is king? Have you accepted in your heart that Christ laid down his life for you and that he rose from the dead? The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved that simple. You can do that right now where you sit, or you can do it later, and you just have to say something like this. Uh, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. And more important than just saying those words is, is believing them. Because there are some people that are mute. They can't talk. (laughs) The believing is the most important part. The second question that I have is this. Uh, Does Jesus have the right to interrupt your plans? Is, Is Jesus able, is he able, to interrupt your plans? How set in stone is your future? You know, if an opportunity comes to Imitate Jesus and serve others Do you take it? Are you growing in your faith and serving in a church community? Are you spiritually disciplined and replacing some superficial activities with devotion to Jesus? I I feel like Lent is like a great time to like figure this out Um, uh, Because we're we're pulling away from things that distract us from God and A good question to ask is, are you interruptible? Like, can you change when you see a need in your community? And there there are things that people are struggling struggling with in our community, um, sickness and uh, different issues, and when you see them, do you change your plans? Does your heart, like, lean towards those people? It's a good question to ask. Uh, And my last question is, are you in a kingdom community? Uh, That means a group of believers, like a church, or a small group. Now, I'm really partial to the South Suburban Vineyard. Obviously, I'm biased. I feel like this is a great place. But there are dozens of awesome kingdom communities if God isn't calling you here. And Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for the church around 2,000 years ago and that he wanted us to be united as one body of believers. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Plug in and find a kingdom community that will surround you with love when the going gets tough. And so that you can be a blessing to others who need help. Jesus rules. As believers in Jesus, we know it's possible to live out a measure of kingdom futures in the here and now. In this church, we believe in the kingdom of God, that it's here in some respect, but also on the way. And this is something that I want you to have in mind as we worship. Pay attention to this last song and let it speak to your heart. Open your ears to listen to God's truths and ask yourself what it is you may need to change in order to grow better in him. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come as we worship, and uh, let's get a taste of future glory. Amen? So come, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would see you seated on the throne of our lives, uh, like Isaiah in chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, where he sees you on your lofty throne. Um, And I pray that picture of you, um, would just settle in, that, that you're more than just a teacher. You are that, but you're so much more. So God, I just ask, Lord, that we would just accept our citizenship in the kingdom and take it seriously, Father. I pray, Lord, that we would be ambassadors for you, declaring who you are to the world and inviting others to, to this heavenly country that we exist in, Father. I pray, Father, that this church would be an army of compassion helping those in need, And uh, I pray, Father, that you would just help us to be as interruptible as we can be for your glory and your power. Call us higher. Maybe we can plant a church out of this church. We just ask that you use us, Father. We ask that we just be tools in your hand to use whatever way you want. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.